0: Please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 16. Today we'll continue our systematic study through this text of scripture. We've been working our way through Acts in our morning preaching for just over 14 months. And if we count Luke's first writing, Acts part 1, or maybe we're in Luke part 2, I don't know. Uh, we've been in Luke's writing for five years. Years studying all that Jesus began to do and teach in his earthly ministry and all that Jesus continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit-indwelled church after his ascension. Today we come to Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. Someone's already said, I'm looking forward to hearing about The baptism portion I'm just going to tell you If you're expecting that We're going to touch on it But we're going to hit That baptism thing More clearly In a few verses When we get to the Philippian jail Uh, so, So just Trying to set your expectations Before we read Let's ask God's blessing On the reading and preaching And the hearing word this morning. Great triune God of heaven. In this hour we ask a special blessing on us. We are gathered here before the word. Help us to help us to hear and comprehend what you would say to us this morning. Help us to sit under your word submitted to it. Submitted to you through it, not sit in judgment, in pride and indifference over your word. God, we pray that you would save sinners and sanctify saints for the advancement of the kingdom of our dear Savior. And it's in his precious name that we ask this now. Amen. Acts 16 verses 11 through 15. This is the word of God. So after setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were spending some days in this city, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer and we sat down and began to speak to the women who had assembled verse 14 a woman named lydia was listening she was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of thyatira a worshiper of god the lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by paul now when she and her household had been baptized She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Last time we saw how the Holy Spirit of God had closed the doors to the gospel ministry in the areas surrounding this missionary team. Men's plans were not working out well. Well, they weren't working out at all. But God had a plan. And we might say in our modern vernacular, they had a new vision for their ministry. Well, quite literally, Paul received a vision, if you'll remember. So they did have a new vision for their ministry. Uh, when Paul received a vision from God, this vision was a Macedonian man appealing to them to come into Europe and to help them by preaching the gospel. The closed doors, which seemed to prevent ministry on every hand, now had given way to opportunity that awaited them in Europe. This is very important for us to see. The invasion of the gospel into Europe, the importance of it cannot be overstated. The effects of this move into Macedonia are clearly seen throughout church history and even to us to this very day. I will be breaking Acts chapter 16 into four sections, four sermons. This is the second of those four for the sake of preaching. But we we can easily recognize in this chapter continuity. Continuity. For the larger text of chapter 16, and we have not read the entire chapter, uh, but I hope that it will be familiar to some of you. So allow me, if you will, to give you the theme of the chapter and a bit of an outline that we will be following. The theme of this chapter is the gospel, the gospel. There are different aspects and particular details that we will see from each section But the gospel is the overarching theme of this entire section, this entire chapter. The outline that I will give this morning will serve as the sermon separations and sermon titles for the remaining sermons in this chapter. Today, we will see, and I've titled the sermon, Gospel Power Over the Disposition of the Human Heart gospel power over the disposition of the human heart the next section we'll see a slave girl we'll meet a slave girl who is possessed of a demon and exploited for money and we will see their gospel power over the demonic then the missionaries will be imprisoned without good reason and without due process And we will then see gospel power over discrimination and persecution. So this is our trajectory for the next few weeks, if the Lord wills. Gospel power over the disposition of the human heart, over the demonic realm, and over discrimination and persecution. This chapter with Lydia and then this slave girl, and then the Philippian jailer, this ha- this chapter shows us the conversion of three individuals. And that is a reminder for us that conversion, <clears throat> salvation by grace through faith is an individual thing. I have often said and continue to say that no Christian should be too individualistic. We have too many Lone Ranger Christians among us today. Not today. I hope that you're not one of these Lone Ranger Christians. But in our world, there are too many individualistic Christians. We need to be churchmen. We need to be churchwomen. But when we are saved, we are not saved in a group. We're not saved in mass. We're saved Individually. And we have to remember this. When we talk to people. And we hear people refer to. Or maybe we use terms like. uh, Well I work at a Christian company. I'm going to a Christian school. Or I live. In a Christian nation. The company that you work for. May be owned by a Christian. They may implement guidelines. And encourage an environment. That is directed by the moral law. Justice, equality, fairness, and other principles that are found in the Bible, isn't that a blessing? But a business cannot be a Christian. You may go to a school that has certain moral codes, moral codes, and rules that are largely biblical. They may even require of their student body Bible classes. There may be many Christians among the administration, among the teaching staff, among the students, but a school is not a Christian. While we may have heard many people, maybe we have proudly proclaimed that we live in a Christian nation. This may not be as common as it used to be. But in the past, people love to say we live in a Christian nation, but we need to know that a nation cannot be a Christian. Jesus did not come to save nations. Christ does not redeem societies. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus Christ redeems lost sinners, and he does so. Individually, one soul at a time. This principle, if you're thinking and following the logic, this principle also applies to families. What a blessing. What a gift from God. If you grew up in a home where your father and your mother worked hard to teach their children about Jesus. What bless them. You may have learned the Bible. You may have been taken to church. And you may have been raised in a home that reflected Christian values. But friends, being raised in a, quote, Christian home, Does not make you a Christian. The preacher I grew up with used to say. Being raised in the barn don't make you a cow. Being born in the garage doesn't make you a car. And being born in church. Raised in church doesn't make you a Christian. If you will be saved. It will be when you. Individually are convicted of your need for a savior and you individually turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus in faith. Acts 16 shows us the salvation of individuals. And we see in these individuals diversity. We can learn from this the great reach Of the arm of grace. These three. What did they have in common? My answer is nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Lydia. An older Asian woman. Who sells purple fabric. A slave girl. And a Roman prison warden. They couldn't be any more different. They, they couldn't live in any in, in worlds any further apart. But they are brought together at the foot of the cross. This new church plant in Philippi is shaping up to be a diverse bunch. Isn't that good? What a, what a blessing it is to look around at the local body of Christ. Just take a moment. Look at those around you. And see people from different walks of life. How how many times have I said from this very pulpit, we have nothing in common except Jesus, which means we have everything that's important in common? People from different walks of life, people with different varying pigmentations in our skin, different interests, different levels of education, different skills. Different giftings. I thank God, and I hope you do too, that we are not a monolithic church. Everybody's different. I pray that as our church grows, as the Lord adds to our church, that we will more and more and more look like the community in which we live. All of that is overview of chapter 16. Now let's look, let's dig into this first section where we will see gospel power over the disposition of the human heart. God has brought these missionaries to Philippi. Verse 12 properly identifies Philippi as a Roman colony. This is the city and the beginnings of the church To which Paul the Apostle would write the letter, the epistle to the Philippians. This city was very Roman. Very Roman. It has been called Rome away from Rome. It's very Roman. Uh, While it's not Rome, there was Roman dress. There was Roman customs. Many Roman soldiers would retire there and buy the properties on the outskirts of the city and serve as sort of a security. The language was more than likely Latin. Though Greek would have been spoken, Latin would have been necessary to really be in the inner workings of what's going on in Philippi. The diversity of these three people in chapter 16 that we've just talked about speaks to the diversity of the city as well. When there is a well-established Roman city, others come to this city because Philippi was strong. It was a good choice for many people to come to live and to do business. And that's where we find Lydia coming to this place to do business, a seller of purple. I'd like for us to ask this question and maybe try to find an answer. Why Philippi? Why this place? Remember, the Spirit of God said no to Asia, not Bithynia, not Galatia, not Mysia, not Troas. No to all those places. And and from a human perspective, weren't all those places just as good as Philippi? I mean, they were good enough. Maybe we can make an argument that all of those places were better than Philippi because they were closer to all those places. Ministry could have been uh, commenced much sooner. Now they've had to spend this time traveling. So why no to all those places? But the Spirit of God says, yes, in Philippi. Why? Why Philippi? Uh, Perhaps Paul and Silas asked the same question. Why are we here? Our plans clearly were overruled. But now we've ended up in this place in Philippi. But why? They didn't know, but God knew. God knew. They had an appointment that they didn't know about. But God knew. And Paul and Silas just had to do what God had called them to do. Wherever he had placed them, just do what they were called to do. Trusting his plan, trusting his purpose. And we can learn from this. When we can't see the plan of God, when we feel like we are in the dark, boy, aren't we uncomfortable? When we're in the dark, when we can't see the plan, when things change, Well, when we find ourselves in those circumstances and we can make a change, make a change. When you feel that you can make a change for the better, make that change. When there's something that you can do, do that thing. And we don't have to worry if we're going to mess God's plan up. Let's do what we can do. But when we've done all we can do, then we remember that it is in God's hands. It is in God's providence and we trust in him. Paul and Silas trusted in the providential hand of God and we too must trust God's providence. Sometimes looking back on our lives, we say things like, well, we should have turned out that way. I regret this or I regret that. I said that several years ago in front of a friend of mine concerning some things in my ministry, Earl Blackburn. And he said, brother, I can't do an Earl Blackburn. Brother, never question the providence of God. Certainly we can look back on our lives and we can have remorse over sin, but we never need to doubt the providence of God. We sing a song Whatever my God ordains is right Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke Find themselves here in Philippi Having to trust the providence of God And so should you So we don't know the answers To all the questions that we can ask about why The whys of God's providence The secret things belong to the Lord. Amen. But the revealed things are for us and for our children. Why did God send these men to Philippi? They may not know all the answers to why. But there's one why that we can know. They didn't know in the beginning. They could know in the end and we can know now. Why did God bring these missionaries to Philippi? Because Lydia was there. I don't just dismiss that. It's because Lydia was there. Lydia was one of the elect of God. She would be the recipient of God's grace. God saves sinners and he was going to save Lydia and those others who were with her. By the way. Lydia is the only one whose name is mentioned in this passage. There were others. So when I say Lydia, I'm not trying to exclude them. I'm just, this is the name that we have. God was going to save Lydia. But remember, God uses means. God uses means. And especially in salvation, God uses his ordinary means to save. Paul preached. Lydia heard. The Spirit worked effectually and Lydia was saved. Christian parents, this is why we here at Waco Family Baptist Church want our children in the worship services. Because we don't know when the Spirit of God might be moving. When the Spirit of God might move and bring a child to repentant faith. <laughs> If you are here this morning because someone invited you to come, this is probably why. So that you would be under the ordinary means of the preaching of the word of God. Now, we don't believe and we don't teach that God is limited, that God only saves a soul in a church, in a church building where the gospel is being preached. But we do believe what our confession states in chapter 14 about saving faith. It says this, the saving of souls is the work of the spirit of Christ in the heart and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word. That is the preaching of the word. Ordinarily, this is how God saves sinners through the preaching of the word. So we want to see our children. Sitting in the preaching of the word. And we want to invite our lost friends and loved ones and family. To sit in the preaching of the word. Because ordinarily this is how the saving of souls is worked by the spirit of God. Paul and these missionaries were brought to Philippi because this is where Lydia was. And God was going to save her through the means of the preaching of Christ crucified. Just one more thing about the sovereign power of God on this journey to bring them to Philippi. The missionaries set sail from Troas, all of this journey from Troas to Samothrace to Neapolis, which means new city. All of that is by ship. And then the last 10 miles is over land. So all of this is by ship, the last 10 miles over land. And, and, and God brought them through this journey from all of these places in two days. I mean, look at the text there. They made it to Sabbath race in one day and then the next day. Now, after they got to Philippi, they spent days there and figured out the lay of the land. Where is everybody? They hear about this prayer meeting and then they go out uh, on the Sabbath day. But the journey takes them two days. Later, I think it's in Acts twenty. We'll read about the return trip, and the return trip is five days. Here's what I'm saying: this is a five day trip. This is a five day trip that they made in two days. So let's take note, and let us praise God that He sped their travels along. Now He didn't do this by miracle; He did this by means. Calm seas, currents moving in the right direction, a wind at their back, watching over the health of the crew members. God worked all the things that needed to be worked. God orchestrated all of these things according to his timetable so that his purpose and plan would be accomplished. Commenting on this text, C. H. Spurgeon quotes a poem speaking of God: His wisdom is sublime; His heart profoundly kind. God never is before His time, and never is behind. Some of you just had a Lord of the Rings flashback. Yes. And you thought that it was wizards who were never early or never late. <laughs> Listen, God. Is never before his time. And he never is gone. He brought them on this journey. The finger of God. Pushed their vessel along. The hand of God. Carried them to an appointment. That they did not know about. But God knew. And they got there. Just in time. We're not told in this passage. What Paul preached. There's nothing of his sermon here. But we can know based on other passages and acts. What he preached, and we can know based on the conversion of those who were there that he preached the gospel. God was going to save Lydia, and God brought Lydia all the way from Thyatira to Philippi, and he brought Paul and the other missionaries all the way past Thyatira to Philippi. Somebody said last week. Brother Jeff said last week, uh, God's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? <laughs> And, and just they pass one another, but they all wind up in Philippi. And, and Lydia's here apparently on an extended business trip. So God brought the preacher to where Lydia was. He brought Lydia there, and then he brought the preacher there. Sometimes God brings sinners to the preaching. Sometimes God takes the preaching to the sinner. Here He brought them both to the same place. They went to the riverside. Now, normally, I mean, we remember on Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas that he went to the synagogues. And later we'll see Paul going to the synagogues, but here he didn't go to the synagogue because there was no synagogue. Just a few years before this, all the Jews were expelled by the Emperor Claudius from Philippi. Uh, To have a synagogue, you needed 10 men, 10 Jewish men, heads of households, So apparently there weren't even 10 Jewish men, heads of households in this place. There was no synagogue. I wonder if that was a disappointment for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. I mean, we came all this way. We came all this way. It's a hard journey. It's it's hard to travel like this, especially in that day. We came all this way and there's not even 10 men who know about Jehovah God. There was no synagogue, not enough Jews to have one. And what they found was a small group of women meeting for prayer. Now, can I just say, I know what I'm about to say is is politically incorrect today, but where I grew up, it was okay. Not only was this a small group, it was a small group of women. That was it. It was a small group of women who were just meeting to pray. I, I wonder if they were disappointed. I, I wonder how many of our modern missionaries would come back with a report. There's no opportunity for for ministry there. Nothing, nothing's going on there. We can't do any work. How many today, how many of us would say, let's just. Just couldn't go back. But praise God. This did not discourage. These missionaries. These preachers of the gospel. There was a prayer meeting by the river. And they went. And they sat down. And they began to teach. There's every indication that Paul. And Silas. Put forth. Full effort. This is a lesson to preachers today, to those who desire to be preachers today. Small crowds, can you phone it in? What do you do when you show up to preach? And there's only five people there. Preach, exactly. And how do you prepare if you think there might only be five people there? Well, surely you don't put in the effort. That you would if there were a thousand What does that say about our hearts If we have that You prepare and you preach the same If there are five or ten Or a thousand or ten thousand For any of us today At Wakefield Family Baptist Church You might get discouraged Because we're meeting in someone else's building And we don't own a building We get the idea or, or let me say this. Do we think that we must have a building that God cannot save souls and sanctify saints if we don't own real estate? Paul met with these women outside by the riverside. They may have met there because it was a beautiful place. My grandmother used to reminisce about the beginnings of their church in Louisiana and how they met by the river at a brush arbor, a rudimentary shelter put together by the sticks and brush that's collected there. And they met there for quite some time. These people had a prayer meeting by the riverside, maybe because it was a beautiful place, maybe because it was illegal or or maybe it just wasn't wise to meet and worship The one true and living God inside the city. Remember, the Jews had been expelled. Worshipping God, the God of the Jews, might have not been a good thing. It might have been frowned upon. Whatever the reason, all this goes to the providential plan and purpose of God. All these things come together to teach us the first lesson from this text the preacher, the center, and the place of their meeting. All these things are subject to the providence of God. In the second place, we learn some things about this woman, Lydia. The text is abundantly clear that Lydia is this woman's name, but we also know that she is from a region in Thyatira named Lydia. So that's that's not that odd for us. We know people named Austin from Austin and People named Dallas from Dallas. We know those kind of things happen. This woman named Lydia was from a region named Lydia. Lydia was probably an older woman. I mean, I can't prove that uh, beyond any doubt. But one thing that leads us to believe she was an older woman is the invitation for these men to stay at her home. This would have been an awkward invitation if she were a younger woman. And doubtless, these missionaries would not have done anything. They certainly would not have stayed at her home if there was any appearance of evil, any appearance of impropriety or of imprudence. Lydia was a seller of purple. There's no mention of a husband. So we have no way of knowing if she was uh, married, never married, if she was uh, a widow. We have no way of knowing those things. She was a seller of purple, a product of Thyatira, this dye that is made there called uh, Tyrian dye. It's made from the secretions of shellfish, and it was very popular. It was not available anywhere except in that Thyatira region, Thyatira area, so it was rare and expensive everywhere else. So she came to Philippi because there's a good market there. Purple is a, a royal Fabric, a royal color. She's selling that there. Notice what we see about Lydia in verse 13. Lydia was a Sabbath keeper. She's there to do business, but we don't find Lydia on the Sabbath day in the marketplace. Remember, there's no synagogue. These are not Jews. Those people would have had no problem buying stuff from her on the Sabbath. But Lydia was not selling on the Sabbath because Lydia was a Sabbath keeper. Verse 14 tells us that Lydia was a worshiper of God. A worshiper of the one true God. Not just some God, not just any God, not small lowercase g gods. Lydia was a worshiper of the one true and living God. She was likely a Jewish proselyte. And she was doing, as we find her here, she's doing all that she knew to do. She's keeping the Sabbath. She's showing up for prayer by the riverside. She's following all the light that she has within her. All the light that she has received, she is following that. And she's doing so with sincerity. Sincerity. And this this is good. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is good. But listen to this. It's not enough. It's not enough. If worshiping God according to whatever light she had in her was good enough. Then Paul and Silas didn't need to come there. If the condition of her soul was okay. Because she was a Sabbath keeper and worshipped the one God and did all she knew. If that was all that was required, then these missionaries did not need to come to that place. Even today, if sincerity is sufficient, then let's stop all missionary activity. Let's just stop. If people can be saved, if people can avoid hell and go to heaven and be right with God out of sincerity without any knowledge of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection, then missionary work is foolish. Good preaching. Do you see that? Many people believe this today. And this is why, when we hear so many people talk about missionary work, I ask, What are you doing? And most of the time we hear humanitarian effort, aid work. Because people don't believe. That the preaching of the gospel is necessary for the salvation of sinners. So we go and we dig water wells and we provide clean water. And we go and we take food. And we go and we take medications. And people die and go to hell with clean water and full bellies. Missionaries preach the gospel. Lydia was sincere, but Lydia's sincerity was not enough. Even knowing some things about Jehovah God was not enough. She needed to hear that God became flesh and dwelt among us. She needed to hear that Jesus lived for our righteousness and died for our forgiveness. She needed to know that she had to trust in him, that she had to believe in him savingly and receive the Savior and the great salvation that is found in him. This is why Paul and Silas, along with Timothy and Luke, had to go all this way. They had to go all the way to Philippi. And this is why we must preach the gospel in our churches. And when we send missionaries and they say, what's the job description? We say, preach the gospel. Whatever else is done, preach the gospel. Lydia was a seller of purple. She was a sincere worshiper of Jehovah. But verse 14 is where we get to the crux. Lydia was listening to the gospel preached. No one is saved apart from the word of God. The heavens declare God's glory. The firmaments show his handiwork. Creation is a composition that speaks so many things about God. But if sinners are to know about heaven and hell, if lost people are to hear about a savior who lived and died to redeem them from sin, The only way to get that message, the only way to get the gospel is in the scripture. This is why the word of God and the preaching of the word of God is, in the words of our confession, most necessary. Thirdly, we see from this passage the nature of the gospel. This is really where I take the. Sermon titled Gospel Power of the Disposition of the Human Heart. Verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. What do we learn here? If the Lord opened her heart, what was her heart? Closed. That's the that's the natural state of the human heart. Closed. There is none righteous. There is none good. No one does good. No one understands the things of God. No one seeks God. The heart of sinful man is deceitful and wicked and we can't even know it. We don't come to God. This is the natural state of fallen sinners. All of that comes from the Psalms, comes from Romans 3, comes from Corinthians. It's all over the scripture. This is the natural state of the fallen sinners. And we are all fallen by nature. The next thing that we see. The human heart is by nature closed. And men and women cannot open their own heart. You can't open your own heart. Jesus said in John 6, no one Can come to me. Some of you know that verse, and you know there's one more phrase. Praise God. But this is what he said No one can come to me. That's the natural state. The heart is closed, and we cannot open our own hearts. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. The Lord opened her heart. Because the human heart is closed and we cannot open our own heart. We praise God that he is the one who opens the heart by his word and spirit. This simple statement, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart. It carries so much power. It carries so much praiseworthiness. The Lord opened her heart. Christian, do you you remember? You remember when your heart was closed? I'm looking at some of you. I've talked to some of you and you know your heart was closed. The Lord, open your heart. When do we get over that? <laughs> when do we get past that? Our disposition was changed by the Spirit of God through the work of His Word in us. How awful would it be to know the truth? that the natural state of the human heart is closed and that we cannot by any power open our own hearts. How terrible to understand those things, but how glorious to know the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened the hearts of others who were there listening. The Lord opens hearts today. My prayer is that God would open your heart. You who still are closed. You who still are at enmity. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the gospel. The Lord opened her heart to believe in Jesus. The Lord opened her heart to be granted the grace of repentance. The Lord opened her heart and she received Jesus Christ. For you who are saved, this is cause for worship. Lost sinner for you, this is the only hope that you have. Ask God to open your heart. Listen for the drawing of the spirit of God. Humble yourself before God. As he opens your hearts to be saved. Lastly, we'll just touch on this for a moment. We see baptism in salvation of the elect. We see baptism. This is not an infant baptism. It mentions Lydia was baptized and her household. I just like to tell y'all if someone said Todd Gill was baptized in his household that would not include any children much less infants and at your house that wouldn't include any infants and at your house that wouldn't include infants and at your house that wouldn't include infants What your well, yours it would uh-huh. uh, for us to say That the mentioning of Lydia's household being baptized uh, takes us to believe that there were infants there in her household, and that those infants were baptized on the basis on the grounds of Lydia's faith, that is a bridge too far. That this is a leap away from the solid ground of Scripture. And we'll see this in greater detail as we deal with the Philippian jailer. More is said about his household. So we'll deal with that. And and our time is short, too. So we'll deal with that then. Baptism has not been mentioned in the scripture in the conversion of Gentiles until this verse. This is the first mention of Gentile conversion. And baptism. But here we see baptism following profession of faith in Jesus. It's pretty convenient too that they're at the river. So they could be baptized. Starting to say scripturally. We know it to be scripturally. They might have just said baptized like Jesus was baptized. They're at the river. So we see here baptism following profession of faith in Jesus. Some of you here may be believing in Jesus Christ. You've repented of your sin. You're not trusting in works at all. You've placed your faith in the Savior And now it's time for you to follow our Lord, his example and his command. It's time to be baptized as a public profession of your faith in him. Don't put that off. I've never heard anyone who delayed their baptism say, I'm glad that I wasn't baptized early. God brought these preachers to the place. Where the sinners were. They preached. The Lord opened their heart. And they were saved. He saved these precious souls by grace and through faith. And then they were immediately baptized. And straight away. We see. Christian heart. A Christian heart here that is open to serve others. I'm talking to my house. You got a place to stay? You're staying with me. The Lord opened Lydia's heart and then Lydia opened her home. And she received these gospel preachers. Christians love fellow Christians. Christians care for gospel ministers. And Christians use their homes and their resources to bless others. God, we pray that you would not let these things from this text of scripture leave our thoughts until you have worked in us what you would do. Lord, we, we ask that you apply these things. We pray for those who are here, those who have been saved by the power of God, those who have, who have been convicted by the Spirit and the life and death and resurrection of Christ Jesus has been applied to them by the work of the Spirit through the Word. We pray that you bring each and every one of us a place of worship and praise that will never cease. God, for those who are here who don't know you as Savior, God, the preaching of the Word can only do so much, and that's not much unless and until you open their eyes. So God, we pray that you open their hearts to receive.